0: Don't you just hate it when you don't get a decent sleep? It seemingly throws off everything and ruins the day before it even gets started. And yes, the data appears to back that up. Sleep loss has been shown to increase inflammatory markers throughout the body. But wait a minute. What if there's another layer to the discussion and the data analysis? What if a broad overall positive approach, something called trait positive effect or PA in the literature changes the equation? What if the way we look at life as a whole could change the effects of a bad night of sleep? Could our mental state buffer the pro inflammatory effects of various forms of sleep? Welcome to the latest episode of the Health, Wellness, and Performance Catalyst. I'm your host, Dr. Brad Cooper, co founder of the Catalyst Coaching Institute. And today's guest is Dr. Carly Hunt. Dr. Hunt is a licensed psychotherapist, has a PhD in counseling psychology and a master's in kinesiology and completed a postdoc fellowship in biobehavioral pain research at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. She's the founder of Present Mind Consulting, and we discovered her when our son Joshua, who's currently in med school with a special interest in sleep medicine, came across her research on the influence of affect on sleep loss. As always, if you have questions about your own coaching career or integrating best-in-class coaching into your organization's benefit plans, please feel free to reach out to us anytime results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com and we'll connect with a call or an email to get your questions answered. If you're looking to pursue your certification as a health and wellness coach, our final cohort of 2022 is already underway. But if you'd like to get registered for the next one that kicks off in late January and allows you to get an early running start, there is an option to get that on-demand coursework if you get registered now. Details, catalystcoachinginstitute.com. That's catalyst coachinginstitute.com or drop us an email anytime now it's time to discover the effect of our affect with sleep stress and more with dr carly hunt on the latest episode of the health wellness and performance catalyst dr hunt great to have you here a long story on how we found you and your research but this is going to be a fun discussion with a lot of rabbit trails
1: yeah thanks brad It's, it's really great to be here with you
0: so, lots of fascinating research uh, aspects we're going to jump into, but your, your history is really interesting. You combine a master's in kinesi with a PhD in counseling psychology, and then you postdoc in biobehavioral pain research. That, well, how, did that, how did that come together? Like, what, what's going on here? You, you, didn't, you weren't 17 going, okay, so I'm going to get my master's in kinesiology, and then I'll do my PhD, in the, and then I'll, like, how did that come together?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely not. So yes, I did take a pretty circuitous route to where I am today. And um I think essentially I really just followed my interests and I can sort of walk through it. I mean, when I was an under I was a NCAA golfer, um, so that was a huge part of my mm-hmm. identity. And um I was studying psychology as an undergraduate at Georgetown and I was really just fascinated by elite performance and i was drawn to the sports psychology field and um i ended up finding a program at the university of maryland that was looking at the specifically the brain dynamics underlying elite performance under pressure and i thought um that would be a really neat sort of path to take into performance psychology and so um so i enrolled in the master's program and it was really fascinating stuff i mean we were doing a lot of um, work on elite marksmen and other, you know, kind of as a model for an elite performance situation and seeing, you know, well, what are the brain dynamics that support best performance? And alongside that, we were doing some work on um, physical activity participation and the effects on cognitive function in older adults um, and Mm. looking at how that can essentially turn back the clock on cognitive decline, like really exciting stuff. So um, I was, really inspired by that research and I kind of wanted to get sort of off the bench so to speak and more into an applied uh research setting so that sort of led me towards counseling psychology because I could continue doing research on health and well-being and performance and also seek uh clinical licensure as a psychologist so so I did my PhD. And during that time I focused my research on positive emotions, which we're going to talk more about today. Yes. 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 And uh, yeah. And also mindfulness training. Cause I, um, and through that, I, um, you know, I was, I was doing health psychology focused research through that degree. And then, yeah, when I was graduating a former mentor of mine at Johns Hopkins was just starting up a new study this is like three years ago now, um, looking at the effects of meditation training on pain, chronic pain, um, and basically comparing a couple of different types of meditation training and specifically whether if training in positive emotions through meditation can, can reduce pain in the clinical population. And that was really up my alley. So, um, and I had also myself experienced chronic pain for for about a year during graduate school. So it it sort of had this personal meaning to me too, as well as professional. And so, um, so yeah, I joined the lab and I did, I did that fellowship. And so we completed that study and those results are currently being written up now and look pretty exciting. And, um, we also, you know, I also did the analyses um, that we're going to talk a little bit more about today on on sleep and positive emotions. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where I, where I, you know, came to be where I am today.
0: You caught me early when you're talking about being an NCAA golfer. Uh, we had Kelly McGonigal on. She talked about research is generally me search. Was that drawing into this stuff as you were a golfer, because that was a strength for uh-huh. you? Something that you felt like, okay, physically I'm, I'm average, but mentally I'm stepping up. Or was it the opposite where you're like, I'm a good golfer and I keep missing those putts. What can I do to tweak that? Was that kind of what pulled you in?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, for me, I think actually my mental game was strong and my physical game was not as strong as the people I played against. I was always a very short hitter, you know, I don't know how much golf you play, but you know, I think there's definitely, you know, some physical talent obviously it goes into you know playing any sport um but i definitely felt like for me like i was always fascinated by the mental side of the game and i felt like i was you know mentally tough and i thought you know and i was often the person that teammates would come to to talk through you know different issues and um you know so i was really kind of excited to understand that more and to you know, to work with folks on that aspect. I think because I did find it so helpful for filling, you know, and I think when I discovered sports psychology, I was very inspired. I was like, this is awesome. Like, I wish I knew about this. Secret earlier. potion. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly.
0: exactly. All right. So, so let, let's set stage for this, this in terms of the concepts of positive and negative trait effect. So can you walk us through, help us to understand what's the difference? How does it fit in? Are there measurement tools that we use for this? And then hold off on the last piece as far as the influence of various aspects of life. We're going to talk more about sleep, but I, I want to dive into some of it. So, so first of all, can you just help us understand what is positive trade effect? What is negative trade effect? And are there ways we can measure it or do you just recognize it when you see it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, so positive and negative affect are basically... Um, you know, they're, they're traits that we have. So we all have a certain level of, you know, positive emotion that we tend to experience like day to day and negative emotion. Um, and then we also fluctuate around kind of what our tendency is. So of course, you know, on certain days we feel like better or worse than others, you know, intuitively. So, so positive affect is, you know, positive emotion is, is basically a synonym. It's, you know, pleasurable emotions like joy and contentment and serenity, calm, et cetera. And then, you know, intuitively, negative affect is is the opposite, you know, anger, jealousy, etc. Um, and so scientists have, you know, some estimates have been put forth that, yes, um, like our general level of affect or emotion, there is a genetic component to that. But there's also a really large um, lifestyle component to that, that we can actually modify, like what our sort of genetics, you know, our genetic genetically. Um, you know, that, that genetic influence. Um, and we can talk more about that, but in terms of measurement tools in science, um, frequently scientists will use, um, basically just a questionnaire where they're asked people to report on how much positive or negative emotion they experienced over a period of time or on a particular day. Um, and then, you know, that's like a one-time questionnaire. So that's, that's what, you know, we've used in our research. Um, but of course, we're not really very good at remembering how we felt over a long period of time. So, right. Scientists are also frequently using what's called experience sampling, which is where we basically ping people at least once a day, usually via like smartphones. Now there are lots of different apps for this to kind of get a sense in people's daily lives, like what are the emotions that they're experiencing? And we can look in a more granular, granular, detailed level at what people are feeling, what kind of factors are influencing emotions. And then we can also, of course, like take an aggregate you know, summary of what their emotions look like over a period of weeks. Um, and then I guess I'll also mention, you know, there are some more psychophysiological um, ways of trying to look at positive emotions. So in, in my colleagues and I had, you know, used fMRI brain scanning to look at the functioning of the reward system. So there's sort of a network in the brain that um, activates when we're experiencing positive emotions, when we're engaging with rewarding things and we can look to see at least in an experimental context, like if that system is activated. Um, of course that's not practical for daily life because we can't, you know, do FMRs on people in their day-to-day life, which is where we do the experience experience sampling, like I mentioned. Um, yeah.
0: So just here's a little rabbit trail, self-awareness. Um, it seems to me, and maybe I'm not self-aware, but it seems to me a lot of people who have more of the negative affect are not self-aware. They don't even realize it. Like they're just walking through grumpy and people, their family gets it, their friends get it, coworkers get it, but they have no idea. Like, so when you're pinging people, is there some sort of, do you go through some pre-work of, look, you're kind of a grump dog. So I want you to tune into that, like you don't use that wording, no. but <laughs> is, is there anything like that that you're, I, I don't know, or am I off base? Is 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 self-awareness similar for positive and negative affect? We just, we are who we are, whatever.
1: Yeah, it's it's a good point. Um, yes, I mean, I would say self-awareness and our level of self-awareness in terms of our ability to report on how we, what we're thinking and how we're feeling is kind of like a confound in psychology in general, Um, you know, particularly on measures of mindfulness. So, you know, mindfulness being defined is like how non-judgmentally aware we are of what's happening in ourselves and around us. And, you know, people that are more mindful are more aware of how much their mind is all over the place versus people who are less aware. So when it comes to like self-report instruments, you know, be they pinging through the smartphone or a questionnaire, that's kind of a limitation of those methods. Um, we can try to train people. I mean, when we bring people into a study, we explain to them like what we're, you know, how to answer the questionnaires and things like that. But oftentimes scientists will try to pair a self-report approach with something um, you know, more physiological, like looking at, you know, maybe heart rate or, you know, like I mentioned, like fMRI scanning or something to hopefully get like mm-hmm. two different sources of data that kind of line up to try to deal with that bias. But yeah, that's a great point.
0: Right. Interesting. All right. So how, what, what does this do for, what, how does this influence if, if I'm got more PA or positive effect or, or NA negative effect, um, what how does that influence things? And again, let's push sleep to the side because we want to dig into that one. But how does that affect various aspects of my life or somebody's life as they're going through school or work or relationships or marriage or career changes, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So starting off with positive emotion. So, so we essentially have positive emotion in order to help us explore Make connections in our environment and gain new skills. Like increasingly, psychology has looked at you know what is what is the purpose of positive emotion, and it and increasingly we see it it may do a couple of things. So it sort of broadens how we look at the world. It can make us be more mm. creative, yeah. um, more interested in play, kind of building resources that we need you know to survive in groups. Um, and then conversely, negative affect is also useful i want to say this first so negative affect is essential so we need to feel fear in order to escape threats not to walk out in traffic um we need anger to tell us if someone's violating us in some way for example um shame might motivate might motivate us to restore social bonds in some way so from an evolutionary perspective like emotions give us information about what's happening in our environment and they motivate us to do different things.
0: So so in, um, the negative is protective and the positive is potential or
1: is yeah, that oversimplification? I, I think mean, it's it a, nice a that one. <laughs> yeah, but it's a nice summary. Yeah, I think that negative affect is protective. It's it's sort of usually goes along with you know sympathetic nervous system activation, like fight or flight, which you know our ancestors needed to escape tigers in the bushes, et cetera. Whereas, yeah, positive affect does encourage us to to look for you know rewarding things in our environment and to go after those rewards. You know, be they social or you know food or um new opportunities, et cetera. Okay. Um and it's also important to mention that um and I'll say I'll say a little bit more, you know, I could I can I can go on about this <laughs> for quite a while. But I mean, you know, just because they're actually, they're also not opposites. Like for a while, oh. well there was I mean there are some I guess that subscribe to this thinking, but my research doesn't and, and you know research from many doesn't really support this is that it was kind of once thought that negative emotion and positive emotion were like polar opposites. Like if you you know, didn't have a whole lot of negative emotion then you necessarily had positive emotion. And that's not really the case. Like, like, I think a useful analogy is like a relationship, like just because a relationship doesn't have conflict in it doesn't mean that it's really joyful passionate. and fulfilling, right. you know? So, so that's just something to, to point out that, you know, we can, you know, even we can just specifically work on positive emotion and see benefits from that. And we can talk more about that. Um, but in terms of like health, benefits. you know, so we've talked about how positive affect sort of promotes you know exploration, um, you know and building of resources. Um, we you know research also is starting to sort of uncover how you know positive emotion impacts our physical health. And so like large population studies have shown that people that are higher in trait like positive affect, like live longer, have better better cardiovascular health outcomes um, better pain related outcomes. And that, that may be happening through a couple of mechanisms. The first of which being just direct effects on physiology. So if we're sort of in a calm, serene, you know, contented state, we're sort of bringing our parasympathetic nervous system online, which is the part of the nervous system that helps us rest and restore and, you know, repair, et cetera, which we need for long-term health. Um, And it also may impact our health behaviors. So like if I'm feeling good, I'm more likely to go out for a run and exercise or eat well versus like reach for sugar or engage in physical activity. So over the course of one's life, you know, that's a huge, um, you know, important mechanism through which positive effect might impact our physical health. And then lastly, there's the stress buffering hypothesis, which is that when when we have stress in our life, if we sort of have a bucket, so to speak, of positive emotion, we're gonna be better able to handle stressors that come our way um, and maybe engage in more adaptive coping strategies. Maybe we might view ourselves in a more positive light and more capable of handling stress. Um and so that's like another another potential pathway. But um, but yeah, the data are really fascinating. I think, you know, kind of a seminal study that put positive emotion on the map in terms of physical health benefits was uh, basically they they took a group of healthy volunteers, researchers did, and they they infected them with a cold virus. Like people actually signed up to do this study, which is like remarkable. Um, but they also just recorded their positive emotion in daily life. And so fascinating, you know, th- those that were higher in positive emotion were less likely to to get colds. Um, mm. And, you know, so I think that was just kind of, you know, and then since then, there's just been a ton of research looking at the different like ways in which positive emotion impacts
0: health um that's fascinating yeah yeah it's
1: really interesting stuff
0: yeah wow okay i sorry i interrupted you there but i'm just (laughs) thinking oh my gosh so if i have that positive effect i'm less likely to get sick which means i'll probably have more positive effect like it, it it seems like it's compounding almost like compounding interest once you get on that path you have benefits that allow you to be more likely to stay on that path
1: Yeah, definitely. Yes. And researchers have used the term upward spiral to kind of capture that very thing that you're saying, you know, you know, earlier in psychology, earlier on in psychology's history, there was way more focus on negative emotion and sort of the downward spiral, you know, and all the negative things that happen if we're kind of stuck in anxiety or depression, you know, and how that's worse for our health and kind of just similarly to positive affect. We've seen that it is worse for our physical health because we're caught in fight or flight. But yeah, there was a kind of a shift, like, well, we're, we're focusing on this downward spiraling and how to prevent that. Well, let's also look at, look at more of like an upward spiral and how can we set that in motion and positive affect does seem to be a key piece, um, to sort of setting that in motion.
0: That's so cool. All (laughs) right. Can we change? Is it just who we are? Is is it just like, you're, you've got positive, I'm negative. It's just, it's like, I'm six feet tall. You're five, nine. What, you know, what, or is it talk us through this? What, what's going on here?
1: Right. Yes. Um, so happiness researchers most recently have been, um, summarizing this, like if you think about to think about this in percentages, so, um, the, the current estimates that I'm aware of are that about half of our happiness level is, is, um, caused by our genetic makeup. So that's kind of like, you know, like the way we are, so to speak. Um, and then about it seems to be tied with our life circumstances. So, you know, if we're living in a war torn country or if we're in poverty, like we need a certain amount of resources in order to be happy. And then that leaves the remaining 40% to, uh, what scientists call intentional activities. Um, and so I can talk us through a variety of evidence-based, um, intentional activities that have been shown to boost happiness, um, in the context of research. And, um, but to kind of come back to your question, like we do have like a lot of agency over um, over our, our sort of set point as it's sometimes called in terms of our, our happiness level.
0: I definitely want to go through those. Let me make sure I've got those numbers right because my eyes are wide open if I wrote it down right. 50% genetics, 10% life circumstances, 40% the decision, the choices.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right. Like if you think about... Like, yeah, after we have a certain, as we get our needs met and sure, sure, sure. of our financial resources. Yeah, you're not starving. Resources, yeah. Right, exactly. But like, you know, then it's like, you know, sometimes we have this delusion that if we just had more money or more success right. or whatever, we would be happier. But like, that's, you know, wisdom traditions across the world say that's not the case. And science agrees with that. Right. But it is more about intentional decision making and lifestyle habits. Yes. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. So take us through it. What did we do? <laughs>
1: right yeah so i i think we'll just start off with with mindfulness so we've talked about that a little bit already so awareness is is like a key i think kind of an underlying sort of baseline for a lot of evidence-based practices that support happiness and so that again refers to being aware of um of our own minds and being relating to ourselves and others in a non-judgmental accepting kind of way. So if we're just kind of racing through our day, distracted, kind of on autopilot, we're really not able to engage with all the many gifts that life is presenting to us, Mm. so to speak. You know, and so that sort of paves the way for some other evidence-based practices. And and I think next I'll talk about savoring, which, which, you know, just like it sounds, just refers to being able to be mindful of and savor and appreciate positive experiences as they come to us, you know, so you can think even throughout, throughout any day, there are all kinds of small, um, you know, positive experiences that yeah. present themselves just the moments that we spend with family and friends, even, you know, our physical health. Like right now I'm not feeling any pain at all. Like I can savor that, etc. But if we're kind of racing on to the next thing, tumbling forward into the future, we're not able to really savor and appreciate those experiences. It's a perfect
0: um, word yes. because you automatically yes. yeah. go to whatever you enjoy eating and the difference between yeah. putting it in your mouth and swallowing it and savoring it. Like it just saying it makes you like,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So that's a good yeah. one.
1: Yes. Yes. I, 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 agree. It's um yeah. And it's, it's so simple, but it's very, you know, powerful. And I think it's what, simple, but not what easy. a lot of us are yeah. <laughs> like, it's not easy. No. Right. And, and, um, I think another, another um, source of, you know, reward and positive affect um, that, you know, we as individuals need and our society is, is kindness and generosity, pro-social behavior. So I think we can all identify with like the immediate rewards that come with doing something for others, but then it's also like doing that also helps us build what some scientists call social capital or Mm -hmm. social connections. So the more that we put out, like the more we're likely to get that back from others and be held in a in a social network and social connections might be you know the most important piece for positive affect and well-being really? I mean, our, our relationships give us so much you know and i think we um And so I think nurturing, nurturing connections, be they few or many is, is really been, you know, the evidence is astounding in terms of social support and how important it is for health. And, um, and it's really been a challenge with the pandemic for people to connect meaningfully with others. And so I really see that as, as something important to pay attention to.
0: When it seems like that upward spiral really takes off when it comes to connection, because you don't want to be around somebody that's mad and uh, disappointed and grumpy. So that, that piece it seems like the p a n a really spirals upward or downward in relationship to that piece
1: yes i think that the research does show that um you know if we train in positive emotion it does help us build more meaningful social connections and you know that could be because we're you know more motivated to kind of get out and engage with others or maybe yeah other people perceive us as more open or you know interested in connecting things like that um okay yeah and then um i think i'll also just mention spirituality and nature contact so i think a big piece of positive affect um and well-being is sort of um feeling like we're connected to something larger than ourselves and also just you know being out in the natural world so i think if we're constantly on our iphones or getting lost online etc you know we're we sort of forget how connected we really are with the natural world. Right. Um, and, you know, maybe with something more spiritual or like larger than the small self.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, l- l- let's talk about the rumination piece, the negative effect. I know that I have a tendency, something will go wrong and I'll start to cycle downward with that. It sounds like I'm not alone with the fact that you had a phrase <laughs> for that. Um <laughs> Any, if somebody's out there and they're saying, Yeah, yeah, I, I have a tendency to do that too, are there things to put the brakes on it to, to say, Okay, I see myself doing it, so there's a mindful thing. Is there, mm, boom, or is it these things you mentioned? Like, well, just take a moment to savor, get outside, enjoy being outside, tap into that faith that you've built throughout your life, connect with that. Is it the same things that build the positive? help put the brakes on the negative or do we have a different list we need to look at?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I definitely think that the mindfulness piece can be equally helpful for rumination. So you mentioned like you are aware when you start to go down the downward spiral. And then this is where I'll just talk a little more in detail about this process. I think it can be helpful to recognize that, you know, rumination you know, call them like negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. They're real in the sense that they're happening, but they're usually not true. So we sort of get caught, mm. caught in what I've heard termed like a virtual reality. And so each time you notice, you know, that you're in this virtual world is to just say, Oh, you know, there's virtual reality or label it in some way, you know, see it like a you know picture on a movie screen yeah. and then sort of come back to the present moment. And so, um, you know that can be coming back to the present can look like you know taking a deep breaths like feeling your feet on the ground kind of grounding yourself in the present and like the actual reality um and then the other thing about rumination is oftentimes the self is the star like usually there's this story going on and oftentimes it involves falling short in some way like I'm not enough I screwed up I'll probably screw up in the future, etc and so, this is where I actually think self-compassion is a really powerful antidote to rumination and self-compassion. I'll talk a little bit about what that is, but it's just kind of like, it sounds, it's really treating ourselves the way a best friend would. So okay. most of us would never treat our talk to our friends the way that we talk <laughs> to ourselves sometimes. I mean, if you had to, you know, it would just be ridiculous. You right. know? So I, I love to point that out. And, you know, most people will agree with that. They'd be like, yeah, no, I would never talk to people I care about the way I talk to myself. And so I think something so simple is like, you know, well, what would my very best friend or, or it could be anything, it could be even like a pet or a spiritual figure or some kind of a uh, representation of kindness. Like what would that message be right now? And can I offer that to myself? And it's a practice, you know, all of this is a practice. It's not like a quick fix, you know, especially if you're one that's kind of engaged in some self-criticism, sure. you know, but Self-compassion is a whole, you know, I can, you know, send you some resources for how to tap some of those resources, but it's, it's evidence-based and it's, it's really helpful. And then, you know, lastly, I would say, you know, a classic technique with rumination, which some people benefit from is, is kind of like a journaling approach is to sort of write down the rumination, you know, write down the negative thoughts and then writing out some statements that kind of like refute those thoughts. That's kind of called like keeping a thought record, um, which can be helpful for books as well.
0: So the, the research, this is great stuff. I, I'm, I'm having fun. To, I, I think people are like,
1: oh my gosh, give us
0: more. Um, the research that brought you to our attention, our son's in med school. He was doing some research during his, his break to do a meta-analysis with somebody and, and found one of your studies looking at the fact that limited sleep, we know it increases inflammation. We know it affects a lot of aspects of our lives, but, but your study showed something really unique. If we have the PA going on, positive affect, we don't see the same level of inflammatory markers as we do in someone with negative affect. I just went, what? Like he sent it to me, he said, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. You got to check this out. And so anyway, I'll be quiet. Tell us what happened. What'd you find? What was going on with this? What doors does this open?
1: yeah it's it's really exciting stuff so yeah i mean and and you you summarize it also maybe i'll just sort of explain the main finding and then you know walk us back and sort of say how we did this But, um, but basically yeah we found that people that were higher in dispositional or trait like positive affect um there was really that really served as an important protective factor in the context of sleep deprivation so what we had, what happened was we, we had a group of healthy volunteers that, you know, volunteered for our research and we brought them into the laboratory and they completed two conditions. The first of which was a sleep disruption protocol. So we have people spending two nights in our laboratory and we're waking them up multiple times throughout the night, like kind of how like real life insomnia is yeah. still look. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then they also completed just a regular sleep. You know, they came into the lab and just slept un- uninterrupted for the control condition. And prior to that, we had them just fill out a questionnaire describing their typical levels of positive and negative emotion. And so then after they did the sleep deprivation protocol, we took blood samples to assess their levels of inflammation. And so we found that it was only only among people that were low in positive affect. So people who didn't have those positive affective resources saw saw a significant increase in their inflammation after not sleeping well yeah. Whereas those folks with positive emotion were pretty unperturbed by this, by this stressor, you know, the absolute deprivation. So it was pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, and we saw that negative affect didn't really play much of a factor, you know, we controlled for that in all of our analyses, but it was really positive. Emotion Just that the emerges. absence of, right. Yes. So, so it's, you know, pretty exciting stuff. And I think it kind of points out, um, you know, potentially, you know, more studies need to be done on this, of course, but, you know, perhaps, you know, this is a path, this is one pathway by which positive affect affects our health over the long term because if it does protect us from the inflammatory consequences of sleep loss you know over months and years like maybe that's some way that we're able to preserve our health through better positive emotion
0: so let me just restate it folks you get a, you you had a bad sleep last night you respond and please correct me carly uh, you yeah. have a bad sleep last night the way you respond to that will affect not just your interactions with other people that day, but literally your inflammatory markers.
1: Yes, with one caveat. So we didn't actually in this particular study, we looked at sort of people's um, typical positive affect. So so basically, kind of like the amount the of positive emotion I have in my bucket. Yeah
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So
1: kind of like how much positive affect I sort of tend to carry around with me. If I have that, if that bucket is full you know i'm going to not really be that impacted from sleep loss in terms of my inflammatory profile um you know future studies i think should look at and i wish we could have done this is like the next day when you wake up like all the you know the rumination about how oh i didn't sleep well or oh this and that like how does that impact you know is that a pathway right. through which this works but basically this refers to kind of your your sort of set point level of positive emotion and So it speaks to the importance of nurturing positive emotion in general so that when you face poor sleep, you're going to be able to maintain, you know, you're not going to see a spike in your inflammation the next day, if that makes sense.
0: It it does. And and the thing that popped into my mind was I was reading your research was, is there any component of the challenge threat research with this where, but, but what you just said is really no, because Brad, we didn't really look at that day's choice whether I'm going to take this as a challenge, I'm going to be good, no, I'm going to be just fine, or, oh, no, I didn't sleep well, life is going to pot, it's going to be terrible. You're, you're saying it's the baseline. You, 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 as a baseline, you're, you had higher PA or lower PA, and as a result of that baseline, the inflammation. So in this study, challenge threat was not involved one iota.
1: No, not specifically. I mean, I think we can make some speculations that relate to that challenge and threat. Let's do that. You know, research, <laughs> which is, yeah, we love to, that's why, Yeah, scientists love to speculate. So I was, yeah, I was thinking about this before our talk. And, um, you know, positive reappraisal, which just means seeing the silver linings of things, you know, is really highly correlated with positive affect. So they probably have a bidirectional relationship. Like if I see the good in things, I'll probably feel more positive emotion. And when I'm feeling positive emotion, it'll be easier to see good things in life, you know. Um, so, you know, in the, and we are like, there's a, another study that I'm aware of, looked at positive reappraisal um, in this context. And those researchers found that positive reappraisal exerted a similar protective um, influence on the relationship between sleep and inflammation. Um, so I think, you know, we could certainly speculate that, you know, if you think of an athlete that didn't sleep well, you know, before the big race, if they're saying, you know, well, well, yeah, I didn't sleep well, you know, I'll probably blow it. Um, you know, it's it's certainly possible that if that person was higher in trait-like positive effect, it might be easier to access more of a positive reappraisal and say, you know, well, I didn't sleep well, but that doesn't mean I can't perform well today. Yeah.
0: Okay. What What about the, the idea of the PA baseline? Is it relatively constant across the population or is it like so many other things in life, where some it's real high and stay on? I'm just thinking of Susanna and myself. Very different personalities. Susanna's is my wife. Very different personalities. She is really good about being positive, pretty much across the board. I'm super positive, like way more positive than anybody knows. And then I'm way down, and then I'm so it's like we're probably on average. If you tested us every 15 minutes for a week, our number would be the same but hers is very nice and constant and I'm like, it's amazing. It's not so great. It's amazing. It's not so great. Is that, Yeah. am I looking at something different than PA or is that just tied into different personalities?
1: Yeah, it's, it's such a great question. So what you're talking about is what's called affect variability. And so, it's actually I actually don't have an answer for you because I, I do think the research is still um it's 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 an active area of scholarship now is like what is the effect of having more variability in your positive emotion, like the up and down profile versus someone who's kind of more like steady. And so these experience sampling methods, tracking emotions like many times throughout the day over many days is what's gonna give us insight into that to see, you know, is you know, I, I believe there's some, you know, research to suggest that like more variability can be actually more beneficial but i don't think we really know enough to like make definitive statements about that like right. we do have a lot of research on level you know like higher is generally better um you know but you know even like an excessively high level of positive emotion all the time might not be beneficial it's because you like said <laughs> right exactly you could exactly so that's obvious you know so but it's um yeah i do think you know stay tuned for more research on on the variability piece and what that means for health
0: okay very cool Um, let's see. Any research on your radar that brings other elements into the equation? Example, maybe those who are exercising, eating well, you mentioned the connection piece is related to higher PA and that modifies the, the sleep loss. Like I have higher PA, so I've been eating better. I've been exercising and so I have those defensive things to help me with the inflammation. So it's not even the PA, it's the result of the PA has me doing good things and so the inflammation doesn't take off like it could have.
1: Yes, I think that's a really interesting possibility that um that I think is is an empirical question, you know, that can be explored. in in future studies coming out of this, you know, I think the physical fitness piece is a great example because in the study, we didn't measure physical fitness and conceivably, you know, but we measured positive affect, but we can say that, you know, people that are physically fit, you know, do tend to have, you know, there's a relationship with positive affect there. So I do think, um, you know, effects on health behaviors could be a mechanism at play here, um certainly. and I, and I think future research should should take a look at that
0: in a circle. It's not just the healthy behaviors affect p a, but then p a then drives more healthy behaviors and it becomes that upward spiral you talked about very early on,
1: right. exactly, exactly. yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: um all right. So what about we got parents, coaches, coworkers, et cetera that? they're, they'd love to help people that they're interacting with, not just their own lives. Suggestions of, cause you can't just go up to somebody and go, you know, you could be a lot more positive and this wouldn't influence you as much. Like that doesn't work. So any tips for what we can be doing? Cause your clients come to you and they're wanting it. So they're saying, Dr. Hunt, can you help me create more of X? But what about for the person who isn't tuned into the possibility, is, is there anything a, a coach or a parent or a friend or a spouse can can encourage or help support with these folks?
1: Like in terms of kind of boosting positive emotion? Exactly.
0: Helping them nudge that PA a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that's a great question. I think um, it's certainly easier when someone already has it in mind that they want to, you know, they want to grow their mindfulness skills or something along those lines. Um, I do think, you know, the the psychoeducation piece is something that I use in my practice, you know, with, with folks, you know, I've also, you know, worked with clients who aren't really kind of aware of, you know, how they can use things like mindfulness or gratitude journaling or self-compassion as resources. So I think just educating people about how there is a lot of scientific evidence to support you know, positive psychological interventions, as they're sometimes called. Um, a resource that I really like is the Greater Good Science Center. Um, you know, listeners can Google that. And it's, um, I think it's done by University of San Francisco. And they basically, it's its this awesome resource um, that, that, and it's evidence-based, you know, basically they've kind of put out different educational tools and practices that people can just use right away, like without having to necessarily um, like work with a psychologist. Um, but I think, you know, providing some education and then, you know, just kind of explore. And, and after that, just exploring with people, you know, what they think about it. Cause I think, you know, certainly, you know, as like clinicians, we, you know, we're collaborators, like it's not, you know, coming in and telling someone what to do, but just kind of maybe putting it out there and seeing, if something in there might be of interest to a client, um, because that's the other thing that, and those, the science support this supports this too, is this idea of person activity fit. So people, you know, need to find things that, that, that support their wellness that they like to do. I mean, it's, it's so simple, but you know, that's, you know, it's kind of maybe walking with someone on that journey to finding, you know, some meaningful things that they can implement that they enjoy and that are, you know, that are meaningful to them. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Final words of wisdom, my friend, this is so valuable. I love this. I'm looking forward to the future research, but anything we haven't covered that you're like, Oh, Brad, people have to know this. What, what else are we missing? What else is out there that would be helpful to our listeners?
1: Um, I mean, I guess I'll mention two things. I mean, I do think that, um, you know, sleep is just so fundamental. It just cuts across so many domains of mental and physical health. So I think, you know, for listeners, like for themselves or for, for the clients they work with, I think good sleep is is essential. So maybe working with folks who aren't sleeping well on just some basic sleep hygiene principles, which, you know, don't have your phone in bed with you, um, you know, things like that, um, you know know, creating like a peaceful sleeping space etc and then if if insomnia is a problem like seeking out specialized treatment for insomnia so cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is like a gold standard treatment and it's very effective um so i would say you know keep an eye out for sleep issues because i do think culturally you know in in you know u.s culture like not sleeping has sometimes been looked at as like a badge of honor. You know, it's like, well, I'm so busy yeah, that exactly. I'm not sleeping, but it's just it's the opposite. How cool am like I? Need, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. But like, we need a paradigm shift where it's like sleep is essential for you know resilience and and well being. Um, well, don't you think that's
0: yeah. happening? I, I, I get the sense because. Suzanne was actually giving me a hard time this weekend. When we first got married, so this is 30 years ago, I had this goal of, I want to be able to get up when there's still a three in the first number of the clock. And she's like, you're just weird. I don't know how this marriage happened, but go ahead and give it a shot. Like, I thought it was cool back then, but now saying that out loud would be basically saying, you know what, I don't care about being at my best. I want to be functioning at 65%. So, in fact, that reminds me. So... Before we hit record, you told you are doing so many things right now. Like you have so many plates spinning. You have, you're, I, I, we won't go into it here. But what are you doing? Like well, in your own life, in the midst of, you got seventeen plates spinning. Simul- she has a five month old. She started a new business. She's doing re- like folks. Anyone who thinks they're busy out there, y- you got nothing on her. She's she's just saying, hold my beer. And so what are you doing with your life to stay on the, the positive side of this stuff?
1: Um, oh my gosh. This is, I'm, um, this is really making me laugh because yes, I, um, I do think I'm in a constant struggle to be less busy, um, but you know, I just, I do have a lot of interests and I have a lot going on and I'm so blessed to have this adorable, you know, five month old son who I love. So I, you know, I do, I mean, for me, I really do value meditation. I do try to meditate every day. I definitely don't always, I find it challenging to set aside the time. Um, but I find for me, like every morning I do do some kind of centering practice. You know, if I'm holding my tea, I close my eyes and I set some kind of intention for the day to, to live meaningfully. And I have found over the course of time, if I don't do that, I feel like more scattered. Like I do. um, yeah. And, and I do practice savoring, you know, I love to take nature walks, you know, even if I'm just on my way somewhere, I I'm intentional about paying attention to, you know, where I am and, you know, something beautiful. I mean, not every day, you know, I get caught in the downward spiral just, you know, like sure. everybody does, like we're all human beings. Um, and then, you know, I think the self-compassion piece, you know, I've been someone who's very achievement oriented, you know, I was an athlete and, you know, I've gone and done a PhD and all this other stuff. And I think that, you know something that i've just found to be so profoundly helpful is self-compassion and i find it helps me be more you know balanced and even you know do better at the work that i do um because i don't have as much of that self-critic like happening um i'm blessed with being a really good sleeper i don't know you know <laughs> i'm very grateful for that i don't struggle with it my husband really you know he's kind of cursed it's always a struggle yep. so um you know i think i got lucky also from that that standpoint yeah yeah
0: that's a great place but, to wrap. You know, this this yeah. was so great. Well, let's stay in touch. We'll have some information in the description of the podcast so people can find you and follow your research awesome. and what you're working on and reach out to you if they have questions or want to consult with you. But thank you so much. In the midst of everything you got going, we really appreciate, appreciate you sharing all this with us.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks, Brad. It's, it's been a pleasure. So you take care. And thanks again.
0: Wow. Definitely a growth opportunity for me. I hope you found a few nuggets in there that will make a difference in your life and those around you. Thanks for tuning in to the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. We were just alerted that this podcast is not just popular in the health and wellness coaching arena, but overall it is in the top one and a half percent of all podcasts. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to those of you who've shared with friends, peers, others. We had our single biggest day of downloads in five years recently, and that's a result of your support. So thank you. Next week episode features Dr. Stephen Guynette, best-selling author of The Hungry Brain If you wonder why you struggle with various eating habits this episode will be invaluable We're here if you have any questions about coaching either for your own professional pursuits or as part of your organizational strategy to help support the physical, emotional and mental health of your employees Results at com anytime and we'll get a call set up And now It's time to be that catalyst. This is Dr. Brad Cooper of the Catalyst Coaching Institute signing off. Make it a great rest of your week, and I'll speak with you soon on the Health, Wellness, and Performance Catalyst, or maybe over on the YouTube coaching channel.